Yeah, and and I really do. I want to say again that the role that ADUs play, the niche that they fill in the housing market, is incredibly important, right? I mean, as as an aging in place strategy, it's hard to find a better solution for somebody who wants to stay in their neighborhood. Maybe their housing costs are too high, or they can't they can't keep up their house. ADUs are the the sort of gold standard for them. You know, if you have an adult child who you need to take care of, gold standard. If you want to stay in your neighborhood and you need to have them close. Welcome to Dirt NC, where we talk all about the places and spaces of North Carolina and the people who make them awesome. I'm your host, Jed Byrne. Throughout my career in real estate development, finance, commercial brokerage, engineering, and construction, I have covered just about all facets of the real estate and land use ecosystem. This show is an opportunity to not only share what I've learned with you, but to also introduce you to my friends who are doing truly transformative work and sharing their stories. With each episode of Dirt NC, my goal is simple. I want you to walk away learning something new about land use. I promise to keep it simple and straight to the point. If you ever have any questions for me, feel free to reach out on Twitter at OakCityCRE. Now let's jump in. So today I had the privilege of talking with Charles Dillard. Charles is an urban designer and planner with the City of Raleigh's Urban Design Center, where he is a member of an interdisciplinary team working to envision a more equitable, sustainable, and beautiful Raleigh. Drawing on his diverse background, Charles is a core member of Raleigh's effort to reimagine what our neighborhoods and public realm can be. Charles manages the city's Accessory Dwelling Unit Program, a comprehensive set of regulations and incentives that will make Raleigh the Southeast's most ADU-friendly city. Prior to joining the Urban Design Center, Charles was an urban designer with Ratio in Raleigh and a planner with the New York City Department of City Planning. Charles holds a Master's in City and Regional Planning from UNC Chapel Hill, Go Heels, and a Master's in Landscape Architecture from the University of Toronto. So today, Charles and I talk about all things ADU. We really kind of geek out for a while on the different barriers and hurdles to ADUs, the history of ADUs within Raleigh and in other markets and talk about uh, where we are with ADUs here in Raleigh and what we think the future looks like. We discuss, I think most importantly, the specific niche that ADUs fill as a housing type. And really, it's a housing type that has no real alternatives, which I think makes uh, ADUs crucial to the growth of our city. We discussed the adoption rate of ADUs in other markets, and I think it's probably not what most people expect it to be. We discussed the barriers to accessory dwelling units as a type of housing and what the city is doing about those barriers. And we specifically discuss the housing affordability and anti-displacement measures that the city is exploring as ADUs roll out in Raleigh. I think this conversation is a very important one as we are now just over a year since ADUs have been re-legalized in Raleigh. I think it's important to discuss kind of the ins and outs of accessory dwelling units and what it means to the city of Raleigh. But as always, we're going to start off with two truths and a lie from Charles Dillard. Two truths and a lie. Um, Okay. Um, I have been to all 50 state capitals. Okay. Um, I once uh, served bowls of curry to david byrne of talking heads fame okay bowls plural bowls multiple bowls of curry okay uh and um i have walked back and forth for a few miles across a lake 
a few miles across the lake. Okay, so I'm assuming the lake was frozen. It it indeed was okay. frozen. Okay, so frozen lake walking, and I know, I know you've got a connection to Canada, so I feel like that's plausible. Fifty states. What was the last state capital you went to? Mm. Not the last one. Like chronologically, what was what was number fifty on your list? Ooh. Let's say Charleston, West Virginia. Charleston, West Virginia, which I'm not a geography major, but I do believe that is actually the capital, so that's a good start. Um, pretty gold dome on their Capitol building, if Beautiful I Beautiful capital. It okay. is. I have to say, unfortunately, it puts North Carolina's capital to shame. Oh, ouch. All right. <laughs> actually built during the Depression, surprisingly. Okay. Okay. So built during the Depression. He's got, he's got data. He's got stats. Now, how does one, how does one, and I don't know if you use this because my last name's Byrne. I like to tell people, which is not That's true right. at all. I, that I didn't even think that about he's, that. He is my long lost uncle. But so no, no relation to any talking against fame. But how does one come across David Byrne uh, and the opportunity to serve him curry? Okay. So are you assuming this is, this is a truth? No, no, I'm just, I'm asking. Okay. Um, you were there. I wasn't. Let's say I was, uh, Waiting tables while I was an undergrad. Okay. Uh, in Winston Salem downtown, at an Indian restaurant, and let's say David Byrne was in town for uh, he had an, uh, an exhibition at an art museum, um, and he was with his daughter and one of her friends, and they were in town, and they came to the restaurant, and uh, yeah. He okay. ordered multiple, probably bowls. multiple bowls of curry and some <laughs> other things that I probably definitely do not remember. So 50 state capitals. I'm going true lake walking. I'm also going true. I'm, I'm calling BS on the David Byrne story. That's yeah, absolutely true. Really? Yeah, this was, it was true. I was waiting tables uh, at an Indian restaurant that is no longer existing. Unfortunately called kebabs. Okay. Um, very excellent restaurant. Um, yeah, and David Byrne was in town. He had uh, a show at Sika, okay. which is a great art museum in, in Winston-Salem, and uh, super weird art that included some PowerPoint presentations that David Byrne had made. And yeah, he was with his family, <laughs> and super nice guy. I, I saw him walk in, the, walk in the door, and I grabbed my boss and said, I want to wait on his table because <laughs> I'm a huge Talking Heads fan. And super nice guy, um, really laid back, you know, very unassuming. Um, obviously, restrained myself a little bit. Yeah. And, um, but he was he was great. Didn't completely fanboy all over. Did him. did not. Good. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, that's yeah. I, I never would have guessed that. That's a fascinating story. So which one's the lie? Fifty state capitals has to be true. I've never been to. I don't think I've even been to half of this. Really? Oh, states, okay. Much less state capitals. Okay. Um, yeah, you got me on that one. Have yeah. you been, have you been to I have, West Virginia? I actually drove through and stayed a night uh, in Charleston a couple weeks ago. Okay, um, yeah, and it was a super cool city, beautiful state capital. But no, I've never been to shoot most of them. Most of them. Okay, when you go to a state, do you try to go to the state capital? No, definitely not. Definitely not. I lived in New York State for three years and never stepped foot in albany yeah. and I'd, I'd like to see it because they've got some sort of weird modernist architecture going on there but i did uh, see a picture online the other day of like their complex yeah it, it's you know similar to sort of like brasilia yeah built i think 
think same period of time. Um, <laughs> and there was a plan, I think a similar plan for Raleigh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, maybe. Raleigh is uh, the first um, purpose-built state capital in the country, I believe. So Raleigh is an early version of Brasilia. Interesting. Okay, um, cool. Well, with that, now that we know a little bit more, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to put Talking Heads music, but that might be like the intro music if I'm legally allowed to do that. But tell me, um, Charles, who are you and, and what are you working on these days? Yeah, so uh, I'm Charles Dillard. I'm an urban designer uh, with the city of Raleigh. Um, I uh, born and raised in North Carolina. Um, I spent some time about six, seven years up north and in Canada and really wanted to come back to North Carolina to do urban design and planning. It was, you know, the reason I got into this field is mm -hmm. because I love my hometown. I love all of North Carolina's towns and cities and thought that, you know, coming back here was a way to, to make a difference and to, you know, help the state and the community. Um, so came back to Raleigh like six years ago and I've, you know, bounced around, been at the Urban Design Center a couple, couple sort of uh, stints mm -hmm. and spent a couple of years at Ratio, uh, which is an architecture, uh, landscape architecture, interior design firm. Uh, and made my way back to the city where, f you know, for the last couple of years, I've been working a lot on the sort of myriad of housing initiatives that the city has going on. So missing middle housing, accessory dwelling units, tiny homes, um, also supporting a bunch of area and corridor studies and, and doing a whole bunch of whole bunch of everything. I'm a bit of a bit of a utility guy, I guess, around the office. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean that's uh, you know, and and how I found my way into this specific room um, to talk to you about ADUs. Uh, it's a long and winding story. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So, um, you know, I was thinking about you know how how did I get to be this like expert on ADUs? Mm -hmm. You know, my background was is planning and landscape architecture. Um, sort of fell into this whole housing world. I love it. Um, but I think if I had to sort of pinpoint a couple uh, moments or periods in my career and in my life that brought me to this place, I would say that, you know, I moved to Toronto uh, in 2009 uh, for to study landscape architecture at the University of Toronto. And um, especially when I first got there and didn't know anybody. Um, I spent a lot of my time just wandering around the city on my bike or on foot or running and sort of very quickly gravitated to this, these laneways in the city. They're, they call them alleys in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's called laneways in Canada. And Toronto just has this amazing network of laneways. It's, it's similar to Chicago in that way. Almost, almost every one of the residential blocks, at least in the core of Toronto, has, has laneways. And there are these really nice intimate spaces, always, almost, almost always paved um, and, you know, cutting through the middle of blocks. And, you know, what's the alternate if it's not paved? There are some that are still gravel. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, just a couple sort of for no apparent reason have never been paved. Um, so that's always interesting when you're on a when you're on a road bike. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Uh, you know, it didn't take me long to to realize, hey, I really like these places. And then the sort of urban designer mind uh, started thinking, well, P 
people should live in these places. They're really nice, intimate spaces. It's a different kind of scale uh, from from a lot of Toronto. Uh, and very quickly came to find out that I was not, by no means, uh, was I the first person who thought laneways should be sites of housing. In fact, there's many, many people who've been dealing with laneway housing in Toronto for so long um, and uh, sort of just fell in love with laneway housing. It's, it's, a, it's a big housing issue in Toronto. I think it is very similar to the way we talk about ADUs uh, in most cities in the United States. Um, I think Chicago does have capacity to build housing in their alleyways. Uh, but in Toronto, you know, the, it's one of the most expensive cities in the in the mm-hmm. in North America, um, if not the world, um, and there's a shortage of housing. And you know, I did some studies in school and and worked with some people who've done other studies that have shown that you know Toronto's laneways can accommodate anywhere from you know twenty five thousand to to eighty thousand housing units. And these are very similar to ADUs, you know. Which is, is a is a percentage of what? Because I don't know how big Toronto is. I mean, it, Toronto is... Is that 1% or metro is that Metro area, 10? Toronto's population now is pushing, I want to say, I want to say 5 million. Okay. People can So that. much larger than Raleigh. Much larger. Yeah. Um, Toronto is, either, is one of the two or three densest cities, I think, okay. in North America. And, and is that, um, this is not going to be the Toronto show, we're, we're going to yeah. get to Raleigh, but I, I was always under the assumption that laneway houses in Toronto were always a thing. So is this is this a transition moment? Or I mean, in, in your, in your it's timeline? It's been a long transition moment, just like our very own long transition moment with ADUs, mm-hmm. not even longer. I mean, I think people have been trying to get laneway housing sort of proliferated for 20, 30 years now. Um, there's a, if folks want to look it up, I know we won't spend too much time on this, but there's a great architect, architecture firm, Shim and Sutcliffe in Toronto, who um, the the partners actually built a, a laneway house to live in themselves a couple decades ago, and, and they're sort of the the flagship laneway house, and they've sort of done probably more than anybody to to uh, you know to advocate for this issue. Mm-hmm. But anyways, back to ADU. So I fell in love with laneway housing. And the sort of concept of these small houses and these intimate spaces in an otherwise sort of bustling city where you can go five minutes from an area that looks like Times Square to being in a really nice tight knit laneway with some housing in it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a nice scale. It quite it's it's quiet. Some people might prefer that kind of setting. Um, but it gives fa- you it gives you an option to the high rise tower. It does, and we'll get into this a little bit later about the sort of niche that ADUs fill in mm-hmm. the housing supply and market um, that is that really can't be replaced by any other kind of housing. Um, but anyways, fast forward. I took a detour in New York for three years. Um, ADUs was not an issue that I thought about in New York. Not really too much space for them, um, but came to Raleigh and I still remember the day, you know, sometime about six years ago. And my boss at the time, um, Bynum Walter, who's still doing great work for the city of Raleigh, uh, came in and she had two new work assignments that needed a project manager. And one was, I I think one was an NCOD uh, somewhere in Raleigh and the other was accessory dwelling units. You know, a group of people from Mordecai had petitioned the city to do a sort of study in a pilot program of ADUs. And I raised my hand for ADUs just because of my fascination with laneway housing. Yeah. And I, I wondered if there was some sort of corollary here uh, that could connect these issues. And 
So that's how I got into ADUs. I started working on this project uh, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked on it through that first stint at the Urban Design Center. Um, and then I, I left uh, to go to Ratio. In those two years that I was sort of not in the public sector, um, I became a bit of an advocate in the community for ADUs and worked with a great group of people uh, trying to to make it easier to build ADUs uh, in the city and, to, and ultimately to educate the community about ADUs. Uh, and then I came back to the yeah. city and it turns out that ADUs are still on the table, uh, on the table and the, the city council now is very much in support of ADUs. And so we have, um, the city has ultimately sort of fast-tracked a lot of these initiatives and programs that um, we and, and others have put forward. And so that's how that's how I got here. That was a sort of long, rambling answer about Toronto. How we got here. And that's how you became the, the Raleigh ADU this expert. Is, this and, this uh, is how it happened. Um, the, uh, but so, so real quick, third grade you know, explanation of, for folks out there who don't know, what is the Urban Design Center? I mean, what, yeah. what what is it that you do there? Not you personally, but what does the Urban Design Center do? And again, I mean, you know, right? So Bynum walks in with assignments, and they kind of walk through like how how do how do those tasks come to be, and then and then why why does the Urban Design Center exist, and what do you guys do? So the Urban Design Center started uh, almost twenty years ago, believe it or not, right when Raleigh's downtown was sort of experiencing this resurgence resurgence and revitalization. Uh, and at that time, and for the first, I don't know, five, six, seven years, it was focused almost primarily downtown. So mm-hmm. downtown public realm, uh, reviewing proposals for development downtown. I mean, the Fayetteville Street project uh, was one of, I think, the first big things that the Urban Design Center worked on. Subsequently, as Raleigh has continued to grow and uh, growth has started occurring in other areas of the town, uh, the city sort of broadened the scope for the Urban Design Center. And so what the Urban Design Center is, it is an office within the planning department that consists of mostly professionals who have some sort of design background. Um, so architect, we've got some architects, we've got landscape architects, uh, we've got folks who are historic preservation experts, mm-hmm. and a few of us have sort of dual dual backgrounds in planning and some design uh, field um, also sort of good bit of we do a good bit of graphic design but you can sort of think of the urban design center as sort of half internal consultant to the rest of the city so when the transportation department for example needs some help on the public realm design mm-hmm. or even some renderings you know we'll, we'll frequently do that um, but we're also a resource for the community in that we help visualize, uh, you know, planning concepts, urban design concepts. Uh, we partner with other departments uh, to do sort of placemaking and uh, events. Uh, right now we're working on uh, the Stroll in the Streets program or event that is going to be happening in October. Okay. And we're closing... Lenore Street for one Sunday to cars and we're just going to open it up to, to people bikes and pedestrians and all the way from Dix Park to Chavis Park so we're very much sort of involved in that so we we do a whole lot of stuff but 
Um, I'm not sure a third grader would understand anything that I just said, <laughs> but maybe like, that's fair. I don't maybe, think we, I don't think we have any third graders listening, but just for, for my own for my own understanding of right. I mean, there's yeah. I think it's it's always been amazing to me as someone who has has never been in the public sector to learn about all the different things and all the different groups and all the different people that are that are touching the shaping of this city um both public and private but i've had more exposure to the private side so the, the public side just it always amazes me how much is going on within the city to to help get things done and and there's i mean a ton of folks who do really great work and work really hard over long periods of time sometimes to get uh things done so it always Absolutely. amazes me to, to learn more about that for sure um, so, so the ADU thing that you talked about, right, started in, in, for you in Canada with laneway housing, and now, you know, you brought it back to your home state, this interest in accessory dwelling units and ADUs. So how would you define an accessory dwelling unit? And a question that came in from the newsletter from Tyler Kraft is, is what are typically typical uses for ADUs, either the ADUs that already exist in Raleigh or in other markets? This is a more complicated answer than I think people usually expect. So ADUs are typically second homes on a property. Mm -hmm. The way the city of Raleigh defines it, and actually the way almost every other city defines ADUs is simply that, a second home on a lot. Um, There is no sort of technical distinction in defining ADUs that separates an ADU that is completely detached Mm -hmm from one that is attached to the home. So you might see somebody build a one bedroom apartment that is attached to their main house. You might see somebody build a one bedroom ADU in the backyard that is not attached to the house. So those are both ADUs technically, Mm -hmm. and that's the way Raleigh's UDO, the Unified Development Ordinance, the zoning code defines them. That's how most cities define them. Is, is the is there a difference and again the thing I've seen where the, what makes it a dwelling unit as opposed to you know basically a finished room over a garage with a bathroom and a bed is yeah. is there a difference between what an ADU contains you know I've always kind of heard of of a bedroom a bathroom and a stove like mm-hmm. you can have two out of the three yeah but the day you get three out of three now you're a dwelling unit you're and, a dwelling unit yeah so I think uh, you know, I'd have to check the official definitions in the UDO for what Raleigh says, but um, a kitchen, I think, is important. I think that's the one thing that turns an otherwise accessory use mm-hmm. into an ADU. I think a bathroom, you can imagine, you know, the man cave, um, the stereotypical man cave probably has a bathroom in it, you know, but otherwise it's not really a dwelling unit. It's a place right. where you might... People might have a studio, a home office Mm -hmm. with a bathroom, but the moment you put a kitchen in it, you make it a sort of livable unit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's really what we're talking about here. For a long time in Raleigh, uh, when ADUs were not legal, um, people were, it seemed like people were building accessory structures with a bathroom and maybe having a hot plate. don't want to speculate too much, but perhaps sneaking a small kitchen in there, uh, unpermitted. Um, definitely don't want to advocate for that, uh, nor do we have to today. But um, yeah, this, that's that's what an ADU is. Um, as to how they're used, yeah, uh, it's a good question. Well, just to pause for a second, yeah. it, you brought up an interesting point that I don't think we've covered yet. 
we're talking today about you know advocating for ADUs, but there was a time historically that, I mean, this, this is not a new thing, right? So ADUs were uh, or are on the ground today. ADUs exist in Raleigh, and they mm-hmm. did for a long time, and mm-hmm. then stopped and so now this is this is a, a reoccurrence or, or bringing back adus as opposed to yeah okay and so so i think that is important to note and so so of the adus that exist in raleigh today do you have a sense of what they're currently being used for we do not have a great idea of how existing adus are being used uh, it is our goal to conduct a census mm-hmm. of pre-existing ADUs that existed before this these last couple years this flurry of ADU uh, regulation mm-hmm. and whatnot uh, that that would involve us and this is something Seattle I think attempted to do in their monitoring program and I, I'm not sure how successful they were but that would involve us basically doing a bit of sort of behind the scenes work in GIS to try and find out you know, what parcels in Raleigh might have an ADU. So mm-hmm. we're looking for parcels that have two dwelling units on them that probably have some sort of second, either a detached unit or maybe an internal second unit. If we can narrow down that field to, you know, a few thousand lots, then we can easily sort of send out surveys to those property owners and say, would you be willing to answer some questions about this second unit on your property? Is it an ADU? Are you renting it out? Or is it home office and it's not a dwelling unit, that sort of thing. We're always relying on people returning surveys in that respect. And, you know, planners Which I imagine generally, is a challenge. It is a, it is a challenge. I think planners, like everybody else who tries to do surveys, you know, we typically don't get the response rate that we would like. Right. Um, but that's for pre-existing ADUs. We have in place now uh a monitoring program in Raleigh that is modeled after something that Seattle has done. Um, to better understand how they're being used. And uh, fortunately, the, the folks at the city who intake uh, permit applications for new homes, including ADUs, are the same people who intake applications for short-term rentals. So we will know uh, our first report out, we're going to be reporting this out every 18 months, okay. along with all of the other reporting about housing uh, coming on the heels of the missing middle text change this summer. Uh, the city has made made it a goal to sort of understand the effects and impacts of uh, the missing middle text change, mm-hmm. the ADU text change, the tiny house uh, text change, uh, cottage courts, all that. So we want to know, you know, how many duplexes are being built, how many triplexes, quads, how many ADUs are being built. We're going to know how many are used for short-term rentals. We're going to know where they're located. Mm-hmm. So our the the sort of second layer of information that we that we hope to get is we're creating a, a questionnaire, a survey that the intake staff uh, will give to applicants, mm-hmm. asking questions. You know, how much are you going to rent this thing for? Are you renting this out short-term, long-term? If so, what are your rental rates? What are the nightly rates? What are the monthly rates? Um, where are you parking this? You know, are you providing parking on site? Are you providing parking? Is there parking in the street? Did you cut any trees down? We want to know the sort of environmental impacts Mm -hmm. of of ADUs and if they're negatively impacting the canopy, you know, this will tell us in 18 months, you know, or 36 months, if we need to sort of reconfigure some of these standards to make sure that, uh, the ADU policies and regulations are having the intended effects. 
Well, so, I mean, but, but high level, I would think, you know, so we've talked about a couple of uses. There's long-term rental, there's mm-hmm. short-term rental, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen home offices and, and studios potentially. Um, are there any other main uses that you see or have seen for folks for ADUs? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there are all kinds of uses for ADUs and maybe this is a good time to sort of talk about the niche in the housing supply market that ADUs provide. Um, so yes, you might build an ADU because you see it as uh, an opportunity to make additional income either Mm -hmm. from short-term rental or long-term rental. There are people who probably do that and, um, you know, that's something that is going to occur. Uh, I think probably more often than not, somebody is interested in building an ADU to as a home for a specific person or kind of person. And so one niche that ADUs fill that really can't be replicated by you know many other kinds of housing is is as aging in place mm-hmm. sort of housing. And so, the sort of prototypical example of this is, let's say there there's a couple, uh, you know, they've been living in a neighborhood for 30 years, they're retired, got maybe some mobility issues, can't get around as easily as they can. They own a two-story house that's 2,000 square feet, um, or even a 2,000 square foot one-story house. They want to stay in their neighborhood, but they can't really keep up their big main house, nor mm-hmm. do they really need all that space. So they might build an ADU move into that ADU and and then rent the main house out either to somebody, you know, just looking for a place to live or maybe a family member who can help take care of them. Um, You might have, you know, that that same couple might just build the ADU so that uh, they can have a caretaker live in the ADU and to help take care of them. Uh, Another another use for ADUs that really can't be replicated by other forms is you know, adults who have uh, adult children who can't take care of themselves for whatever mm-hmm. reason, if they've got developmental issues, um, you know, graduated from college and can't find a job and it's too expensive for them, can't afford a place to live. That's a place for those people uh, to live. Um, we've mentioned uh, short-term rentals. The The caretaker thing is is something that's actually been on the books in North Carolina for quite some time. In Raleigh, previous to all this ADU work that we've done in the city, you could actually build an ADU for healthcare purposes. Uh, the silly thing is that it would have to be moved six months after that care uh, provision had stopped. Moved? Uh, How do you move an ADU? Which is why they were never removed. Built, which is why... Because I'm guessing was mobile an option? I mean, could you pop a no? You in the can't. Backyard? You cannot right. put a manufactured home uh, today uh, in in your backyard as an ADU. Um, so what then? I mean, the, the it sounds to me, you know, in, in the conversations I've been hearing, that there there's some questions on twofold. Of one, you know, these ADUs are going to be built everywhere and all over the place, and and kind of disrupt the housing ecosystem there's this other question of you know housing affordability and attainability and um i mean i i think it it seems to me that you know the question is always well compared to what so you know short-term rentals can happen in 
most neighborhoods now, you know, within the home, right? So if if you're you're not really adding much availability for short-term rental because the short-term rental already exists. Um, as far as aging in place in these alternate unit units and uses, the I mean the sense to me is like you said they're they're kind of purpose built. I mean if you wanted to own a rental unit if you were an investor and looking to build a portfolio of rental units my guess is there are simpler and less expensive ways to go about that you could go buy a a rental home single family home townhome condo whatever so again that that exists already um so so let's talk then about you know where do you see and kind of what is a what does adoption look like in other markets? And so we've got five hundred thousand people in Raleigh, and you and I were talking about the before the recording. We can look this up, or someone can comment if they know the exact numbers. But there's you know roughly two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dwelling units in Raleigh proper today. What do you think this kind of, you know, what what does the adoption look like? Yeah, it's a good question, and it is. A concern that we hear and have heard for a long time is that by allowing ADUs, uh, we're going to open up the floodgates mm-hmm. and everybody's backyard is going to be occupied with a dwell- uh, an ADU and density is going to double and so on and so forth. Uh, the data from cities that have had ADUs on the books for decades or more shows quite clearly that um, at, at their highest uptake levels, we can expect that 2% of a city's uh, permits for dwelling units might be ADUs. So that's new permits. That's not new existing permits, stock. Not existing stock. We don't know exactly how many ADUs we have in Raleigh today. I would expect it's a lot higher than most people think. Every neighborhood built in this country before... The 50s is going to have ADUs in them, Mm -hmm. particularly those built in the early part of the 20th century. Many, many, many ADUs. If you go through Oakwood, Mordecai, Boylan Heights, uh, you see lots of ADUs. The maximum uptake for any city is going to be about 2%, right? So in Raleigh, that means, you know, we've got about 11,000 housing units a a year maybe being built. we're talking about at most 200 ADUs per year citywide. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the kind of density that you're really going to see on the ground. I mean, when you're spread that out across the city of Raleigh, um, you know, not going to have a huge sort of visual impact or impact on parking. At least we think so. Um, so that's 2% is basically the number that we're seeing. And that's if everything goes, if, this, swimmingly i mean that that's swimmingly. that's the that's the high end i think that the cities that have had the highest uptake levels of adus are portland and seattle and now los angeles has has become the number one adu city in the country in terms of them the number of units being built uh so if we were to reach those kinds of levels 200 adus per year would be you know knocking it out of the park right and even if you then. double that's 400 a year 400 a year even if we and and that would make raleigh the most adu friendly city in the country if not north america you know we've we've got 200 units coming on into the market you know in a year going forward yeah what what is the rental you know again and, and you've talked some about 
these are kind of purpose-built units, but if they are being rented, do you have any sense of what those rental rates look like and how they compare in other yeah, markets? Yeah, yeah. This is another good question. So we know that ADUs can be affordable housing. We, we never say that they are affordable housing. I mean, we were talking a little bit ago about you know, you might have an ADU built in a neighborhood like Five Points in Raleigh that is an expensive neighborhood, relatively expensive neighborhood, and that ADU might rent for, you know, a thousand or even two thousand dollars, which is not necessarily an affordable housing unit. Uh, we do know, however, that in Portland, uh, fifteen percent of accessory dwelling units are rented free of charge. Mm -hmm. There is no rent. Uh, these are mostly family members, obviously living in these ADUs. What I was speaking a bit about earlier, uh, we know from San Francisco that 19% of ADUs uh, rent or ADUs rent for about 19% lower rent uh, than comparable rental units in right. the same neighborhood. Uh, anecdotally, um, we know, I know, I have a friend who a few years ago was actually looking for an ADU as an apartment and they were looking in Oakwood and they found one in Oakwood um, that was renting, this was four years ago, I wanna say, for $600. Yeah. You cannot find an apartment for rent for $600 within that distance of downtown Raleigh anywhere, anywhere. today. Right. So, you know, at the same time, there might be an ADU across the street from that one in Oakwood that's renting for triple that. Mm -hmm. We don't know. but. On the issue of affordability, and this is something we we hear a lot from the community, is you know these aren't going to be affordable units. They're not gonna they're they're not gonna help us with that part of the housing crisis. And sure, there's no way for us to ensure that all ADUs will be affordable. I think there are some interesting ADU programs across the country that have targeted affordability, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, you also hear this about missing middle housing. Well, missing middle housing is not going to be affordable. The rental rates are not going to be affordable. Well, we don't we don't often hear that about single family housing development. You know, um, why should the affordability onus be on accessory dwelling units, duplexes, quads, mm -hmm. but not on single family houses? And so that is a, a point of frustration, I think, with. In people who are in this housing uh, field. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something we, we constantly talk about. But, you know, I think the fact of the matter is that most ADU owners are probably not looking to make, you know, money hand over fist. Right. From an they're, ADU. they're not going to be institutional investment yes. you know, most, decision makers. Most ADU developers today building the one off ADU, even if they're building it for supplemental rental income, will probably not have their eyes on the, you know, apartment rental rates in their neighborhood to make sure that they're making the maximum yeah. that they could. They're probably going to set the rent at a rate to attract the kind of person that they want to live in that mm -hmm. in that home. And you, know, you might think, you know, let's let's take an example of let's say there's a, a single, you know, older folk living in a neighborhood mm -hmm. and let's say it's a single woman and they just want, you know, to have somebody else around mm -hmm. on, on in their neighborhood or on their property and maybe just a little bit of security. They might intentionally seek out to have somebody younger in, in, on living on their property. Mm -hmm. 
just to have a second sort of set of eyes on, on their property or just somebody to talk to during the day, that sort of thing. So, yeah. and they're probably not looking to, to make a ton of money off of that. No, they, I mean, I think that's the, and we talked a bit about this before the recording started of kind of, you know, I think a lot of time when there's, there's kind of, and I'll I air quotes this, but new, you know, solutions or new changes coming. And again, the, these exist already. I mean, they're all over the place. I see them, you see them. Um, yeah. That, that the kind of the onus does fall on them to be the silver bullet solution. And I do think, you know, the five points example is a great one. If, if you're looking to move to five points and your options are currently to buy a house or rent a house, you know, you're probably going to be looking at a very large rental number or a very large purchase price. And so, again, this isn't saying, oh, well, you'll be able to move into a market where the rents are $2,500 or $3,000 and you're going to be paying $500. That's right. It's saying this gives you an option that's, less expensive more attainable than the alternate options and it does that through both size and kind of function that's right and it does that through pricing so again i think all of this is is going to be market rate housing these aren't going to be subsidized in any way that i know of other than just personal ambivalence which to your point exists i mean it exists today and so it's interesting to me that again this isn't the silver bullet solution but you will have, I think, alternate options. And again, if you're if you're one person looking to move into a neighborhood, if I wanted to move into five points by myself, you know, my option today is to rent a house or to live in a bedroom, mm-hmm. you know, share a room or share a house with somebody, have roommates. Um, but again, this this is just providing an alternate, which I think is fascinating. It's not going to be a silver bullet solution, but I do think uh, it's an interesting addition to the landscape. Yeah, and and I really do, I wanna say again that the role that ADUs play, the niche that they fill in the housing market mm-hmm. is incredibly important, right? I mean, as, as an aging in place strategy, it's hard to find a better solution for somebody who wants to stay in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Maybe their housing costs are too high or they can't, yep. they can't keep up their house. ADUs are the, the sort of gold standard for them. You know, if you have an adult child who you need to take care of, gold standard, right. if you want to stay in your neighborhood and you need to have them close. Well, it's it, it brings back the importance, I think, and we talk about this in lots of different ways, but it's this diversity of housing stock that you don't. That's right. I mean, again, it, it's I don't know of another solution that meets that need of, again, if, if you want to live in a neighborhood and all of the homes are fairly similar, whether it's Five That's Points right. or West Raleigh, you know, you you don't have many choices and so this is a way to add choices and um, allow for potential solutions and again from the adoption we've seen it, a, the numbers aren't through the roof you know and i think that's because again this is one piece of a much larger housing uh, ecosystem and housing challenge that we're facing so I, I think it's an interesting thing and again it's it's interesting to me if if and when we can get the data to look back and say okay well you know what what did the delivery look like when ADUs were completely legal, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. Right. They weren't building thousands a year, mm-hmm. um, but they were where they were needed and where they were helpful and where they were beneficial. Yeah, that's they right. were built. Um, so, what about process? Where where are we in the kind of timeline of things? The very brief history of ADUs in Raleigh is that yes, we talked about they were very common first half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, after the war, um, single family housing exploded across the country. Um, and along with single family housing in a lot of places, including Raleigh came a prohibition on building second units, accessory dwelling units. 
Um, there's a very sort of ugly history here of sort of anti-renter and even anti-black uh, sort of policy here, uh, which I think is a whole other uh, ADU episode, just mm -hmm. talking about how ADUs have played a role in the sort of racial history of housing in this country. Um, we fast forward then to, you know, 20, let's say 20, 2009, mm -hmm. Raleigh's comprehensive plan. Um, I think it actually, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think the comprehensive plan uh, recommends that the city try and find ways to promote accessory dwelling units. I can double check that. Your listeners can double check that. We'll find out one way or the other. Either way. About six years after the comp plan came out, we had a group of residents from Mordecai, uh, just north of downtown, who were interested in building ADUs. Um, they were not legal at the time. Um, so we sort of coordinated this, this uh, study with some members of the Mordecai community. Now's probably a good time to give a shout out to Tom Barry, who's an architecture professor at NC State School of Design who was and continues to be, I think, instrumental in this world of ADUs. Mm -hmm. um, look him up if you, if you don't know Tom, he's great. Good to talk to you about ADUs. Um, we conducted a study um, and at the time the city council had a lot of hesitation about accessory dwelling units and the impacts that they could have in neighborhoods. And so the city's approach then was to allow ADUs, but only in areas uh, that sort of selected to have what, it, what we called an accessory dwelling unit overlay district applied to their neighborhood. Um, it was a unique program. There's no other city in the country, to my knowledge, that has, that has only allowed ADUs in an overlay mm -hmm. uh, format. Some some cities allow ADUs through a special use permit, um, but... But the difference being the overlay requires the vote of... The overlay what, was gonna... 10 acres 10 acres, and you had to have a certain amount of property owners. I wanna say you had to, you had to get 25% of property owners, and then 50% of that 25% had to say yes. I, I could and, have the and numbers the, wrong. But the overlay, the special use permit would say, I'm going directly to staff and staff. say, hey, I've got this site. Here's where I want to put it. Is this okay? And you say yes or no. So That's it's right. a smaller, um, I guess, control group, for lack of a better Much word. Much smaller. Than, than and there, there, I think there are a few cities in North Carolina who still only allow ADUs mm -hmm. through a special use permit. The general trend, I will say, in cities across the country and North America, for that matter, uh, is to permit ADUs as of right mm -hmm. on any residential property. Uh, in fact, it's state law now in California. Every town and city has to permit ADUs, uh, up to two ADUs, in fact. And some cities are taking it further and allowing multiple detached ADUs on a property. Anyhow, so we had a change in city council leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, the newer council was, I think, much more in favor of accessory dwelling units. And so uh, they made the decision to scrap the overlay Okay. Uh, and to allow ADUs as of right, which is a sort of term of art, as of right just means anybody can build an ADU on their property. Um, so that's where we are today. And we've simply said, you can build an ADU on your property. Now, you and I were talking a bit ago about homeowners associations and their role in this, and we can get into that later if you want to. But for the most part, 
today if you want to build an ADU on your property as long as your property meets the minimum size requirements for an ADU you can have one so that was that was I guess from a timing question is is that's today I mean th- this is live this is not still in debate today. or review last that summer is, okay. uh, the city council got rid yes 2020 uh, city council got rid of the overlay uh, we also I would say liberalized some of the standards mm-hmm. so uh, you know changed the size of properties that could accommodate ADUs just basically wanted to make it easier to build an ADU and you can now build an ADU in any residential district uh, in the city do you have a sense of how many ADUs have been permitted permitted since then so last year uh, let's say council I think got rid of the overlay uh, in in July and, and mm-hmm. should say that the overlay was probably going to preclude ADU construction mm-hmm. at all. So after the AD, the overlay was removed, in those six months, we had 13 permits pulled. And, and, is, the, and is that, so with the overlay, were any permits pulled? Uh, no. Okay. So it went from Not zero to, my knowledge. to 13. There were no overlays. There were a few people who started the process. To, I guess that's true. So no overlays were even established. No much overlays less were established. Pulled. There were a few people who began the process and quickly discovered that they did not have the time or money yeah. uh, to undertake this. With a rezoning, you're typically hiring a lawyer. Yeah. You're typically going door to door in or this an case. Engineering and, and, right. Or it's, an engineering consultant. Or an engineering consultant and going door to door and asking people if they'll support an overlay about ADUs. And a lot of people have no idea what any of right. that is. And so back back to, I mean, costs of an ADU, right? There's the, there's the yeah. physical, I mean, there's the monetary costs. There's... Yeah the time but right there's this kind of onerous yeah requirements that and, and hurdles that make it hard for something again so from a development development is hard as is yeah as a professional as a layperson um it's very intimidating yeah very intimidating um the good news is that in the first six months the good news if you like adus that is is that in the first six months of uh 2021 we had, I want to say, 35 to 40 permits okay. pulled for ADUs, uh, which would put us on track for about 70 this year if, if those numbers sort of stay the same for the subsequent months. Which, again, so, I mean, that that's it's good. close to a 0.7% of overall permits yep. being pulled. Um, but, again, it's I think it's it's encouraging to see the an actual reaction um, from citizens and, yeah. and so one is you know people question well is, is this beneficial is this helpful is this something that the city needs yeah. is this a change and you say well, okay yeah there's things actually happening yep um and and we did touch on it briefly but hoas so again you and i were talking about this which which i think is fascinating if i live in an hoa which i do the rules and regulations of my hoa supersede is that the right word are, are, are stronger than the rules of the city so the city can That's say right. Yes, Jed, you can build an ADU on your lot. My HOA can say no. This is and correct. I can't do anything about correct. it. Correct. And, you know, I have not read through the rules of any HOA for that matter, uh, but, you know, obviously not all of them, uh, to know how many HOAs in the city uh, prohibit accessory dwelling units. Mm-hmm. I would guess that a good percentage, if not all, of HOAs in the city of Raleigh have some language that prohibits second units on a property, which would include ADUs. Mm -hmm. This also goes for missing middle housing. And so 
when we talk about missing middle housing proliferating through the city, we have to understand that in the, for the most part, HOAs are going to preclude duplexes and quads being yeah. built. In those and and any, any neighborhood built after the 60s or 70s is likely part of an HOA. And again, That's right. I don't, That's right. I don't think my HOA documents preclude or s- say anything about ADUs, but I'm willing to bet since they don't say anything about ADUs, that means I can't do it. And if if you get past that, then there's the architectural review committees and appropriate, and true. there's all sorts of other hurdles. This so um, it, it's again, I think on on a adoption basis, you know, there even if this is citywide, it's it's probably not a majority of acreage of developed neighborhoods. Very small, yeah, very small part of Raleigh's neighborhoods. So then, what? Um, you know, kind of talk to me about hurdles as you see or have seen in other markets or see here that, you know, what stops people who want to build an ADU from building ADU and, you know, what are those hurdles and what is the city doing about it? Yeah, it's a great question. And this is actually the question that city council asked us uh, directly last year after they got rid of the overlay. They said, well, what are the other barriers to building ADUs to incentivizing Mm -hmm. Uh, ADUs in Raleigh and how can we get more of them? Um, and we undertook the Urban Design Center and with the planning department undertook a study of basically the best practices across the country uh, in terms of both regulating ADUs, but also creating incentive programs for ADUs. And so um, we we looked at we spent a, a few a few months uh, looking at you know what what's being done in California where mm-hmm. ADUs are being strongly encouraged, what's being done in Portland which has long been the sort of ADU poster child, what about Seattle which has very similar sort of growth challenges as Raleigh where the housing costs are super high, what about Atlanta which is a sort of our, you mm-hmm. know uh, as a other south eastern city with a growing population and increasing housing costs what are they doing with ADUs what is Asheville what are Durham doing Uh, so we identified all sorts of of programs um, and things that could reduce the barriers to ADUs and so what are the barriers to ADUs so the the primary barrier to an ADU is the cost of building one and we have to be honest here and say that uh, it is expensive to build an ADU. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost, especially you know, in the last year and a half, we've seen construction costs increase so much. You're probably talking to build, you know, a a, a, a modest 600 square foot ADU, you know, maybe two hundred thousand dollars. You know, mm-hmm. you probably build them cheaper. Um, you can definitely build them more in in a more expensive manner. Um, Aside from cost, uh, you know, there's like you, you you mentioned a bit ago, most people who are building ADUs are sort of novice homeowners. They're not developers. They're mm-hmm. sort of doing a one off project. It's intimidating. I mean, you have to go through the permitting process with the city. Uh, you typically are hiring an architect, got to hire a contractor, um, that sort of thing. It's a, it's a daunting process. Mm-hmm. Um, so cost, always the biggest barrier. Uh, there is some neighborhood opposition. Mm-hmm. I think I think now if you want to build an ADU, your neighborhood can't necessarily stop you unless you've got an HOA or there's immense pressure on you otherwise. But um, those are significant barriers. And so um, we, we looked at ways that other cities have tried to tackle this affordability problem with ADUs, uh, found some really interesting models. 
Um, we looked at ways that cities are doing things like reducing setback requirements mm -hmm. for ADUs in order to make it a little bit easier for them to build. Even the sort of monitoring program that Seattle has undertaken and that we are sort of modeling our own program after is all meant to sort of understand like what, what are the barriers? Why are ADUs being built? Why are they not being built? Mm -hmm. What can we do to further sort of reduce some of those barriers? Um, yeah, I would love to sort of talk about some of these affordability programs, and these anti-displacement programs. So, Go for it. you know, we were talking a bit about affordability and so, um, there are programs that other cities, uh, have undertaken and that we are looking at in Raleigh now, um, very much in the nascent stage. And, and I don't think the city can commit to definitely implementing these programs uh in at least in the short term so there's there's a few programs that i want to sort of talk about so santa cruz california uh has a program called my house my home uh which was sort of through a partnership with habitat for humanity and so this is a program that was intentionally aimed at preventing displacement of residents uh, in quickly gentrifying neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. uh, we can provide links to the great website that great. Santa Cruz has has created. Uh, they have some really great uh, testimonial sort of videos for this. Um, basically, I'll use one example of, of a participating homeowner in this case. So in Santa Cruz, uh, the city identified uh, an elderly couple, a uh, black couple in a gentrifying neighborhood who very much wanted to stay in their neighborhood, mm -hmm. but did have some of those mobility challenges, couldn't get you know mm -hmm. up the stairs to get in their house, so on and so forth. Didn't want to move, you know, didn't think they could afford anywhere else in their, in their city where they very much wanted to stay. And so they um, contacted, you know, the city, they, agreed to participate in this program. And so how that works was uh, Habitat for Humanity uh, comes in, they help provide, and I think it was a uh, $80,000, 3% simple interest loan. Uh, Habitat builds the house uh, for the family. The loan is deferrable for up to 30 years. Hmm. Um, it can be payable uh, upon sale or transfer, or you can start paying it back after those 30 years. But in this case, you know, this, this elderly couple, they're probably in the 60s and 70s. They actually ended up moving into the newly built one-floor ADU. Mm -hmm. uh, and their daughter, who basically is their caretaker and part-time healthcare provider, and her family moved into their primary house. Mm -hmm. uh, they did pay rent. Uh, in this case, there is a 60% AMI rent requirements so, of uh, area median income. Uh, so in Santa Cruz, that's quite high, but nonetheless, that is an affordable housing unit that is being provided and these folks got to stay in their neighborhood. So that, that's the sort of, that's one model where Habitat comes in, uh, with a loan and, and construction. There's another model from Los Angeles, which is called La Mas Backyard Homes Project. And this one is interesting because self-help federal credit union, uh, was very much a partner in this along with another sort of uh, financing group from Southern California. And so um, one issue with ADUs across the country, including Raleigh, is that most banks, uh, almost all banks for that matter, will not provide somebody a loan to construct an ADU 
primarily because they do not take into account and will not take into account the sort of projected rental income from that ADU. So you build an ADU and you think you're going to get $1,500 in rent each month from that. Right. Well, the banks don't really care, at least. Which they is very bizarre cared. given the fact that as a developer, you can get a loan from a bank for the exact same thing. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Nevertheless, this is the case. Uh, tangent. This is why so many cities, including Raleigh, are focused on flag lots as well as a way to get second units built. What's a flag lot? A flag lot is a pause the pod to talk about flag podcast uh, flag lots. So uh, a flag lot is when you take a property and you subdivide it to create another to create two fee simple lots, mm-hmm. uh, and one of those lots typically is shaped like a flag you know most cities so narrow require, walkway from the front to the back and expand yeah the because most cities require a lot to have some street frontage Can't and so you lock. you have you know you have a driveway that is connected to the street and let's say it's 12 feet wide and that driveway goes all the way to the back of that lot where the lot then widens out so if you look at it from an aerial view it looks like it's a the flag. flagpole and a flag it's a flagpole and a flag and so with that would then the bank look at a fee simple property with a home on it, That's ADU right. or otherwise, is now a, basically a rental unit. Yeah, it's no longer an accessory unit. dwelling unit. Yeah. It's a primary dwelling unit that can either be sold yeah. or it can be rented. It can be owned by anybody and, and rented out. Um, so flag lots, that's something we're also working on in the city. You know, If folks are interested, uh, they can expect us to sort of report back to council on this in a couple months about flag lots. Very cool. Uh, very likely to be a text change to enable flag lots uh, in you know the next six months to a year. So, but also from an anti-displacement strategy, if you have yep. a big backyard and yep. you can establish a flag lot, build a home, move into that home, yeah. and again, yeah, from from a from a diversity, if if you live in a neighborhood and all the homes are exactly the same, one, the chances, and you're in the situation you mentioned earlier, the chances of you finding another home in the neighborhood that meets that need that can have you know uh, an adult child and aging parents. That's one story that has a master you know on the first floor. So like it just it it's very impractical. And so can you create your own solution? Yeah. That that's kind of what's being presented here. You have the option to create your own solution as opposed to having no options. That's right. Uh, and for people who are facing, you know, let's say people who are on a fixed income, Mm -hmm. older, older folks retired, uh, on a fixed income in a gentrifying neighborhood where the property taxes are going up and up. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the cost to maintain their house is going up and up, especially in a gentrifying neighborhood where there's sort of this uh, pressure to maintain your property in a certain way mm-hmm. and keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Um, it can be very expensive. Uh, and so if, if, if you're that kind of household, maybe you've got some equity built up in your house. Well, if you can subdivide and sell part of your lot, mm-hmm. You can either take that infusion of cash and pay down your mortgage, pay down your debt. Maybe you've got healthcare debt or something. Mm-hmm. Pay that down or just save it for your retirement. I mean, this is a lot of people in Raleigh are in this situation. They're sort of uh, house rich and cash poor. Is, right, right. Is one. So your value has gone way up, but you can't do anything until you sell. And if you That's have no right. place to go, That's you right. can't sell. That's right. And I think this, this is exactly what places like Santa Cruz uh, and L.A. And, and Denver, which I'll talk about in a second, 
this is exactly the issue that they have, have recognized is, is happening in their in their cities. So what self-help did is, you know, recognizing that most banks won't provide a loan to construct an ADU, they created a new loan product basically mm. to build ADUs. Um, you know, these are for homeowners who sort of lack that equity, can't put up that kind of collateral that banks require to get, you know, construction loans to build an ADU. Um, the, the, the credit union self-help was also now willing as part of this product to consider that potential rental income. They considered, I think they were willing to look at 75% of the projected rental income, which is important. I mean, I, you know, uh, want to stress that. And so these new loans could then be used to construct an ADU. There are affordability requirements, um, uh, with those, you know, any ADU constructed as part of this would have to be kept. Uh, I think it was, I want to say 60%, maybe 80%. Uh, one last piece, because there was so much risk involved in, in, the, in these loans, there was a sort of guarantee, a supplemental guarantee provided by a grant from J.P. Morgan Chase. Hmm. It's sort of this floating $650,000 grant that uh, the J.P. Morgan gave to the city of L.A. to sort of guarantee these self-help loans, right? So um, that's one way to sort of safeguard this program. Right, so, offset some of the perceived risk. Yeah, exactly. The The third program, and, and this is the one that I actually really love the most, is, is called Denver Stay in Place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, again, link uh, to their website. Uh I guess on Jed's Twitter account, please. Um, so this is actually a community land trust model, and I'm really excited about this one. Um, I'm very much a proponent of community land trust. Generally, uh, we have one here in Raleigh who's, who's growing. You had mm-hmm. Rhett was on the podcast. Rhett, a friend of the pod, Rhett. That's right. Uh, was here to talk about this issue uh, recently. So in Denver, with the Stay in Place program. Basically, what happens is you've you've got that same kind of homeowner at risk of displacement. Mm-hmm. Community land trust comes in, buys the land from underneath the homeowner. Uh, the owner retains ownership of the building of the of the home itself. The uh, homeowner can then uh, receive funding. Or the CLT will help build an accessory dwelling unit on that property. Mm-hmm. The ADU is retained under the ownership of the primary. Uh, property owner. So they can then rent that out and receive that supplemental income. Both of these homes, though, are perpetually affordable mm-hmm. as part of the if CLT. not permanently affordable. Right. So same community land trust model. There's now two homes on this lot. That is the lot is owned by the land trust and the homes are owned by the property owner. Uh, and uh, density is increased. Mm-hmm. You've created a, 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 and again, there's affordability requirements for that second unit. Well, and as a, as a solution, as an option, what we talked about with red is, is if you have pent up value in your property, in your land or the, the land prices, right. the land value is going up substantially. You can't do anything about it That's right. while you're still there, unless the land trust comes in and buys it from you, you at market value. And then, right. right. I mean, it, it's, it's a, again, it's, it's, an option and in life usually options an option that allows that household to stay in their neighborhood that they love to continue living with the neighbors that they've they've grown up with to allow a new 
person or to family allow, or group to move into that neighborhood. To allow right. a new person who maybe doesn't want to live in a five over one apartment building in yeah. downtown Raleigh. Maybe they prefer the sort of quieter neighborhood setting and they mm-hmm. move into the ADU. So this is a these those are three programs that those are very we're cool. very much interested yeah. in. Um, stay tuned. We are taking a sort of longer look at these anti-displacement affordable programs just because they are so complex. If we ever have to engage with you know self-help or a group mm-hmm. like self-help, that's obviously going to take some time to help sort of create that sort of. Uh, mortgage product, construction loan product. That's right. So if, if folks want to learn more, where's the best place to go about yep. ADUs? Uh, so you can, you should very much stay tuned. Um, one, uh, well, immediately you can go to the city of Raleigh's website. Okay. Um, but here's where uh, I'm going to, you know, lodge a bit of criticism and, at my own workplace and myself for this, I think is that the city's website for ADUs is very technical and it's yeah. oriented to very much sort of probably like a contractor. You know, if a contractor went to the city's ADU website, they would very much be able understand. to understand, you know, here's the but permitting already, information, yeah, you know, here are the setbacks, right. the, so on and so forth. If you're just a lay person, you don't know what ADUs, or you're worried about ADUs, or you want to build an ADU, but you have no experience building anything, it's not going to help you too much. Mm-hmm. And so, one thing that we very much learned in this study we did last year was that those cities that are experiencing, I think, the greatest uptake of ADUs are creating websites and other resource guides that lay it out uh, simply uh, for all types of members of the community. You know, what is an ADU? Should you be concerned? If you mm. are concerned, you know, these are the issues. If you want to build one and you're a homeowner, if you want to build one and you're a tract home developer, uh, these are the rules. Um, we are completely revamping the city's web presence for ADUs. Um, within a couple months, we're going to have this live. It's going to be evolving over, over probably the next few years as we, as we create more and more incentives and programs for ADUs. Um, check it out. Um, I will also share with Jed so he can post the links, um, to, I think it's San Mateo County, California has, I cannot stress it, one of the coolest websites for any <laughs> planning, anything that I've ever seen. They have a great cost calculator okay. um, that will tell you, you know, how expensive it will be to construct your ADU based on what town in that county you live on and construction costs. And it's very, very cool. up to date. Um, so we're hoping to very much do that same kind of thing. So you can, you'll be able to go to the website and if, you know, um, you, you're a homeowner and you want to build an ADU and you live in Southeast Raleigh, we'll hopefully have that kind of calculator and we'll have all the rules and it will be very, very easy and attractive. And I think we'll tell the story of ADUs and about, you know, why we think they're important. Um, but for the immediately, yeah, check out the city's website. There's a whole host of, of great information on ADUs on the web that, that we can link to. Very cool. Well, I appreciate those links. Um, and Charles, I appreciate your time. Is, is there anything kind of you wish we brought up, but didn't. Uh, and then lastly, is there anything that you would recommend people go out and do uh, in regards to ADUs? Yeah. Um, so we have not, I think we touched on it a little bit, but there there are people who are, I would say, concerned, mm-hmm. if not opposed to ADUs. And um, 
I think it's important for advocates of ADUs to to listen to those folks Absolutely. and to sort of understand what the concerns are. There are legitimate concerns. Right. I think particularly uh, there are sort of segments of um, traditionally black neighborhoods who are opposed to ADUs. Um, we have to sort of understand why that is, you know, as a white cis male uh, planner, urbanist type I think I have a lot of blind spots, um, and I think a lot of us do. Um, one of those concerns, you know, I've heard this many times, is that ADUs were houses for the help or for servants, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day, 100 years ago. And so there's this kind of ugly racial component to ADUs, at least, at least in some people's minds. And mm -hmm. I think we have to address that. And I think we can't just simply ignore that or say that this is this, we're not creating you know, servants' quarters here. Uh, we, th we think we have to have that dialogue and sort of talk to people about, you know, their concerns mm -hmm. and how ADUs might might or might not be what they think they are. Uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's one issue that I, I think probably deserves its whole other sort of pod about, you know, opposition to, to missing middle housing in general and, and well, that's, I'll, I'll take a second to plug I mean for folks who haven't uh, read it but the color of law again as a, as a white male um, and blind spots if you haven't read that book highly suggested you do yeah. because again I, I think for uh, a portion surely of this population who's listening these are things that um, aren't a concern or, or you know are, are maybe coming up for the first time right so this idea of having um you know help live in the back of the house or or these perceptions or realities historically of planning and um regulation around the built environment have been horrendous in many cases yeah. and so That's it's right. it's not something to be taken lightly it's not something to be ignored yep. it's something to be discussed and addressed because it's a very real i mean again yeah uh, planning decisions have historically had outweighed impacts on certain groups of the population and that's um, right if you're not in that group of population you probably don't see it or think about it and that's a problem yeah um you know uh, i would i would just encourage folks who who want to learn more about adus to reach out to the urban design center reach out to the planning department if you guys if anybody wants to have any one-on-one -on -one conversations about ADUs, we'd be happy to do that. Um, would love to take a stroll through some neighborhoods yeah. in Raleigh with folks who want to check out ADUs. Um, we're always looking for ways to sort of partner with groups like AIA or whatever to, to help sort of spread the word. Um, look at California, you know, look at other states and cities that have had ADUs on the books mm -hmm. for, for much longer and see sort of what role they're playing. Um, and again, want to stress, and I think we've, we've talked about this, that ADUs are not a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. They're not a panacea. Um, they're ultimately going to have a relatively very small, uh, role to play in the housing market. But again, the niche that they fill is not replaceable right. by any other kind of housing. So let's let's find ways to make ADUs possible and and show that they can be a positive contribution to people's neighborhoods. Yeah, possible possible again. And that's one of the things. One of my suggestions, as you were saying, it was like, right, go walk through some of these neighborhoods from the '40s and '50s and earlier. 
But the problem is you probably, they don't stick out like a sore thumb. Like you and I know what we're Indeed. looking for, know how to find them. Indeed. You kind of have to look. And that's that's one of the interesting points to bring up is like, if if they were so visible, if they were such a nuisance, if they were such a problem, you would know. I mean, you know where the problem areas are in your street, on your neighborhood. You know where the potholes are. You know where the issues are. You don't know where the non-issues are. And so, again, when you walk through some of these older neighborhoods, Oakwood, Mordecai, wherever, five points. I mean, you see, if you're looking, all sorts of stuff. But if you're not, it's kind of hard to see the duplex, triplex, you know, the multi-unit yeah. apartment building that exists in some of these neighborhoods. And I think that's kind of the point. It is very much the point. It, you know, people use this term. I don't use it too much, but gentle density is mm-hmm. a term that people use to describe ADUs and the role they play. And yeah, they're very small units that fit into these neighborhoods. Can't even see them most of the time. Don't even know that they're there. Um, I think you know one interesting, one interesting fact about Raleigh when you compare Raleigh to places like Portland and Seattle is we actually have much larger backyards here mm-hmm. than those cities. Mm-hmm. So we potentially could have many more ADUs without even knowing that they're there in Raleigh just because of our backyards are so large. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged um, by how the community has sort of taken to ADUs. Um, that said, I think we'd like to to get these incentive programs in place, get these barriers out of the way, and then move on to different kinds of housing and how we can sort of create this and, and create with the community a sort of fuller spectrum of options of housing options. That's awesome, Charles. I appreciate your time. Thank you for all that you've been doing for the years. Um, Definitely something we want to keep track of and watch uh, the uptake and uh, help participate in that conversation. So thank you for your time and look forward to talking soon. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Thanks. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Charles Dillard as much as I did. I love how it took twists and turns and we talked about all sorts of different things regarding accessory dwelling units and the barriers and um, the different things that the city is doing to address those barriers. So um, I think we could have kept talking for hours and hours and uh, really enjoyed the time and I'm really grateful for the time that Charles took to spend sharing his thoughts and his expertise on accessory dwelling units. As always, I'm so grateful that you have chosen to share this time with me. If you ever have any questions about Dirt NC or any land use related issues, you can reach out to me on Twitter at OakCityCRE. Also, if you're looking for a simple and straight to the point weekly update on commercial development in Raleigh, you can subscribe to my newsletter at www.OakCityCRE.com. Until next time, thank you.